That is David Bowie, of course, and a track called Absolute Beginners. How are you doing? Are you well? This uh, Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. And just as I was about to go on air this afternoon, I had a bit of a crash in the studio. It's a funny thing. It's something I could have checked before going live. An updating thing going on with my playout system. Nothing untoward. Ordinarily now I would be playing news beds and jingles and stuff. But I can't do it because silly arse here, silly arse here, checked everything but that. How are you? Are you well? I'm in great form and fine fettle and delighted to be back with you this Tuesday. I've had a lovely three weeks off. I mentioned that in a post on richieallen.co.uk today. And I'm delighted to be back with you. And let me get rid of David Bowie there. Bowie, Bowie, tomato, vegetable, I don't know. I've got two very good guests for you today and lots to talk about. It's great to be back. The Richie Allen Show. Right, I'm getting rid of that because that's the wrong one as well. The best laid plans of mice and men. I've been fiddling around with jingles and all that sort of stuff. Listen, let me tell you, Kevin Barrett from truthjihad.com, who writes for uns.com and is a terrific broadcaster. Kevin will be with me from Madison, Wisconsin this afternoon to talk about the ongoings in Afghanistan. And a bit later on in the programme, second hour, Gerald Salente will be back with me. Now, Gerald was on with me about two or three days before I took my break. But he called the Afghanistan thing spot on from the very beginning. The great man live from Kingston, New York, will join me in the second hour of the programme. Yeah. And now the computers are all back online. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? It's not really funny. I feel like throwing things around and going a bit mad. But I'm not going to do that. Like I said, I've had a terrific rest. It flew by for me. Although, judging by some of your messages, it didn't fly by for some of you. But that's always the way of it, though. When you like things, when you like something, and it takes a bit of a break, it can feel like an age before it comes back. Well, I am back. And I want to read an email that I had from Bernadette, who is an Irish woman living in, living in County Kerry, in South County Kerry, who sent me an email over the weekend, and I think it'll resonate with you, maybe. So I'm going to read out the email. I'm going to chop it up a little bit. Bernadette went to her GP last week for a minor eye problem, but one that needs a bit of sorting out, in any case, right? So Bernadette says, Richie, the GP is around about my age, mid-60s. His father was a doctor, and his son is a doctor in the practice at the same time. So the son is working with the older GP. A very decent source, says Bernadette, and somebody you would trust. But he was very disturbed and perturbed that I'd not gotten jabbed. The GP not happy with Bernadette. Where's your mask, was the first question. And then he ran off to get Bernadette a mask. And then he wanted to know why, given that 90% of his clientele or clientele had the jab. Why was Bernadette so reluctant to have it? The GP said to her, look, I've had it myself. I couldn't wait, Bernadette, says the GP. 
tragically, says Bernadette in the email, he appeared to mean it. He was deadly serious about not being able to wait to be jabbed. So he'd reeled off lots of stats which were bonkers, says Bernadette in Kerry. He says 20,000 dead in Ireland and 250,000 dead in England. Bonkers stats, of course, to which I managed to murmur a suitably muted response, response even, whilst telling myself firmly to keep quiet, keep shtum at all costs. Given I was there for a minor eye complaint, I got a complete government script from the doctor, I thought better of alienating the man, so I gently said that naturally I'd been vaccinated as a child, to reassure him, and that I'd taken other jabs as well when travelling, again to reassure him, and surely he knew this was a bit of a trial run, and that the manufacturers weren't liable for any adverse effects, so on, so on, so on... Given the history of Pfizer, says Bernadette to the doctor, and given that I live in, you know, Kerry, and I'm not exactly surrounded by millions of people, I live in a small community, I might just give it a miss. But he wasn't thrilled about it, was the doctor. And Bernadette says to me, being, the point being that he isn't money-minded, the doctor, not remotely short of a few bobs, so it's not greed, The fact was he was a complete zealot. I could tell that he really believes in the jab and that he thought, you know, anybody questioning the jab was basically barking mad. And as I was driving back home from the doctors, my heart sank, says Bernadette, because of course if somebody like him tells his patients to take the jab, a man they trust implicitly, who's been a terrific GP otherwise, they will do as he suggests without question. And sure, from their point of view, why wouldn't they? That's an interesting email, that. And our health service here in Ireland, says Bernadette, can announce proudly that up to 80% of the people have been jabbed, including pregnant women and young men and women now because they're jabbing the over-12s in Ireland and they're all doing it on the advice of their doctor. Thanks, Bernadette. Hey, listen, welcome to the Richie Allen Radio Show. Do check out richieallen.co.uk. Later on in the programme, and I might go over time today, I want to talk to you about the PayPal situation. So I've made a complaint to the financial ombudsman. I I don't think it'll do me a fat lot of good, really, but I've made a complaint about it. Uh, PayPal basically cancelled the account of this programme, which we which which has been in place for about seven years. The program will be seven years old in in a couple of weeks' time, and there was no warning given other than you can no longer do business with with PayPal. And I'll get into it later on at the end of the program and explain what we're doing in lieu of not having a PayPal account. So we'll do all that a bit later on. My my other computer is just now coming back online. Thanks be to Jesus. So I think I'll be able to. Yeah, fire off jingles and stuff and stings and sweeps and all the rest of it. Five to five, Bloomin' L, the computer just died on me. Yeah, it was in the middle of an update. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about one or two things then, apart from Afghanistan, which we will be getting into in detail a bit later on. So, you know, they want to vaccinate children aged 12 and over here in the UK. You do know that without any parental consent. Okay, we'll come to that in a moment. This is important stuff, this. 
Well, a woman called Noreen Jamil was so desperate for her 12-year-old kid to be jabbed that she wouldn't wait for the UK government to roll it out for the kiddies. Astonishingly, this lady flew to the United States with her child because, well, as we know, they have been giving it to children over 12 in the US for some months now. This woman speaking to Radio 5 Live. Yes, she really did travel to the United States in order for her 12-year-old to be jabbed. Here she is. It was very much part of the planning to come out to the US that the vaccine has been available here for 12-year-olds and above since May. Millions of kids here have had it. And it's a no-brainer. There is The science has been developed to provide us with this vaccine, which mitigates hospitalization. And so why not? For me, it was absolutely a gut decision. She's 12. She can get it. It makes her safer, makes those around her safer. And, you know, I vaccinate my children against everything. And this is just another thing that science has provided and I'm going to take it. Yeah, she flew to the United States to ensure that the child got the jab at the earliest opportunity. Hmm. Now, Talk Radio isn't happy about the idea of jabbing the kiddies without mum and dad's say-so. Here's Kevin O'Sullivan and Mike Graham. Increasingly, Talk Radio presenters have taken to interviewing each other. Maybe they're running out of interviewees. I don't know. So they interview themselves. The presenters interview themselves. It's funny stuff, that. Kevin O'Sullivan and Mike Graham. That's right, Kevin. You're, you're right, Mike. Well, of course, you're spot on, Kevin. Let's get Julia Hartley Brewer on. She's always right. You're right, you're right, you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Mike Graham and Kevin O'Sullivan on the jabbing of the kiddies. Uh, uh, they're going to be given adult doses. I mean... And they're already saying, but they're already saying we might only give them one, though, because we're not sure if this, giving them two is a good idea. Well, how about if you don't give them any? That's an even better idea. Yeah, I mean, that, in other words, they want to roll the dice and see how it goes with the kids. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, and this not idea... Kids, Well, exactly right. You and I talked about this last uh, Friday on my show. You know, the the idea that the state is going to overrule parents Mm. and just say it's got nothing to do with you. It's up to your 12-year-old whether or not he or she gets injected. Hey, kid, do you want to be injected? Because if you can't, you can't go out to play with your friends. Yeah. Oh, I'll be injected then. I mean, parents are going to go crazy about it. Next they'll be offering them money to do it, you know. Well, they will. It's, they're being coerced into it anyway. And the idea that a 12-year-old kid can make a decision on a medical procedure that he or she is going to undergo, it's just outlandish. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely outrageous. You're right, Mike. You're right. No, you're right, Kevin. You're the greatest, Mike. Kevin O'Sullivan, Mike Graham there. Brendan O'Neill edits Spiked Online regular on Julia Hartley Brewer's programme. He told her today... An authoritarian society looms large. Brendan O'Neill. We are crossing red lines into an authoritarian society in which parents wouldn't even have control over their own kids, potentially. So we've got to be very wary of all of this. The key point I would make is that we've got to learn to live with COVID-19. Well, they keep, they keep the... telling us that. And then yeah. and then we're only allowed to do it for a few weeks at a time. I mean, if you think about, it, say, the, uh, the the parental consent for the vaccines, I mean, a vaccine for, for, for young people when, I mean, if it was incontrovertibly clear that children benefited from these vaccines, they'd have been rolled out to us already. I know it's happened in a number of different countries, but, um, you know, one of the reasons why we don't, you know, we don't have the French deciding our vaccine policy uh, is, is because we want the British authorities and our medics to look at it. But we don't even require children to have MMR. 
uh, when, mm. when, when those are killer diseases for children, whereas COVID undoubtedly is not. The average healthy normal child who gets COVID is barely, barely affected by it. That's right. And, you know, I'm very pro-vaccination. I've been double vaxxed. I've been encouraging everyone I know to get vaxxed. It's a good thing. But with children, we do have to talk about what's riskier, them catching COVID-19 or them being vaccinated. With adults, it's pretty clear if you get COVID-19, you're at higher risk of illness than if you get vaccinated. Very clear. But with children, it's a different story. They don't get ill from COVID at all. It's going to be interesting this because children are returning to school in this country right soon. Now, on the BBC Radio 4 Today programme earlier, much earlier in the day, there was a head teacher, or they had a head teacher. I didn't grab the audio, but a head teacher was saying that he would ignore the government guidelines on children coming back to school. And that despite the government saying that school is a safe place for children to be, this head teacher said he would be expecting his pupils, his students, to wear masks and to maintain these ridiculous bubbles that they had to stay in 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 the last term, the term before the summer holidays. He also said that he expected many other head teachers would bow to union pressure and insist that the children wore the masks and so on, so on, so on. We'll come back to that in the programme, maybe. But this is interesting, this. Didn't follow this throughout the, I suppose, the whole saga. But an alpaca, which was um, the centre of a big legal row with the government and the owner of the alpaca, has been killed. You've probably been following this today because it's gotten or received even widespread coverage today. This is a Geronimo the alpaca who twice allegedly tested positive for bovine TB and the Department of Food, Environment and Rural Affairs, otherwise known as DEFRA in this country, ordered the alpaca to be euthanized, to be destroyed basically. And the owner, as I said, was in dispute with the government, a woman called Helen MacDonald. So they took the alpaca away today. They put him down. Uh, She spoke to the media and said she's disgusted by the government. These are barbaric actions. It's a disgrace. She said she had received no warning whatsoever. Uh, They turned up in blue overalls and goggles and in masks. Uh, The police were with them at this farm near Bristol. Uh, This morning at 11 o'clock, they took the alpaca away and killed it. Yes. Okay, so a spokesperson confirmed the destruction warrant had been carried out after Geronimo was loaded into a trailer. Uh, the, As I said, the mainstream media has been all over this today. They're giving it massive coverage. And I was watching it because I was preparing this programme and that's what I do. I have a listen and a watch and a read. And it was obvious to me that Geronimo never had a snowball's chance. No chance whatsoever. Uh, protester Liz Stacy, a nurse, or a former nurse apparently, who came to try and save Geronimo, the alpaca, well, she didn't exactly do him proud, as you'll hear she's speaking to Sky News. Well, the police arrived in force. It was totally disproportionate. Um, with DEFRA officials, they were determined to carry out that, this heinous crime. You know, there was no way that Geronimo had TB. Four years, a healthy, happy animal on this farm. And, and it was just disgusting. A total disproportionate use of force. You were actually arrested? Yes, for being in possession of a water pistol. 
So you, you were using the water pistol against the police? No, I was using it against just just in order to um, maybe obscure the vision of a DEFRA official. It just had tap water in it. <laughs> so you took a water pistol. You, you thought you'd fire the, the water pistol in front of the police and the vets and their vision would be obscured. That's what you thought you'd do to save the sheep. I was using it against just... just in order to um, maybe obscure the vision of a DEFRA official, it just had tap water in it. Yeah, the, the alpaca never had a chance. I, I thought I'd bring a water pistol with me. I'd fire it in front of the police and the vets and their vision would be obscured and Geronimo would run off in the confusion. It wasn't exactly the A-team, was it, Liz? Poor Geronimo, mother of God. Should have seen the face on the alpaca when he saw that Liz had brought a water pistol on a rescue mission there, eh? What happened then, Liz? What happened after that? And I was carted off, put in the back of a wagon and told that I was under arrest for assault. I was then arrested because the police were informed that it would be not in their best interest and very bad PR if a 53-year-old nurse was arrested for such a stupid, futile offence in order to defend an innocent, healthy alpaca. Can you describe the moment uh, he was taken away? Because we've been hearing here it was, it was a pretty rough affair. I didn't see it because I was, I was in the back of that arrest vehicle, so I didn't see it, thankfully. I was glad I didn't see it. I saw them corral him into a corner. It was... It was brutal. It was brutal. No animal should be treated like that. And it was, it, it's been a total waste of an opportunity to sort out TB for the benefit of farmers and livestock at, at large. Mm. A total wasted opportunity. Can't believe that. Disarmed and chucked into a paddy wagon. I had to listen to this three times before I believed it. I was using it against just... just in order to um, maybe obscure the vision of a DEFRA official... It just had tap water in it. Tap water. Yeah, I came to save the alpaca with the water pistol full of tap water. Mad stuff. It's uh, 19 minutes past five, by the way. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. I've got to get used to saying Tuesday. Feels like a Monday for me. Good to be back with you. You can comment on the programme as it's happening, if that's your thing, by going to richieallen.co.uk. Do check in the menu bar... In the menu bar, you can see it there. It says, comment live. And you can comment live there. This will improve, by the way, as time goes on. Thanks to Hayden Hewitt for sorting this out. You can comment live there. And I'll read your comments out as I go along, okay? So put them in there if you want. It's comment live. We'll we'll, we'll improve this as we go along. RichieAllen.co.uk. The website will, of course, become busier now that I'm back and working. It's a one-man operation. But articles and news analysis and opinion pieces will appear, as usual, from tomorrow on RichieAllen.co.uk. How about that? Okay. Now, this is a very serious story, this. And I've been hearing quite a bit of this from people that I know locally. Less than half of patients see their GP face-to-face in the UK these days, according to figures from the House of Commons Library. So this was a big story yesterday. It spilled over into today. So the NHS is struggling to cope, apparently, with the backlog caused by 
COVID because during most of last year, you'll remember this, you've probably experienced it, they weren't seeing people, they weren't examining people, they weren't giving people appointments because everything was COVID, 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 COVID. This has left millions and millions of people waiting for procedures. Some of them standard procedures, others more complicated procedures, which are, well, to say, to to, to put it mildly, serious procedures. Right, so big problem, right. So before the COVID-19 crisis, according to the Mail Online today, 80% of consultations with a family doctor in England uh, took place in person, face-to-face. But data from this House of Commons library search shows now that no part of the country reaches that level. And in a quarter of districts, less than half of patients are being granted face-to-face appointments, with the rest forced to consult their GP via telephone or video calls. Now, not to state the obvious, but this is obviously playing havoc with the lives of older people who are maybe not so tech-savvy. I'm not being ageist here. It's just a fact, Jack, right? Okay. Have a listen to this very distressing call on the Jeremy Vine television show broadcast by Channel 5 Television this morning. It's a man called Nick who tells Jeremy Vine that not being seen on time by his doctor well as proved catastrophic for him. And uh, just have a listen, Nick, on Jeremy Vine Channel 5 today. Back in February, I've got a mole on my back and uh, my wife noticed it got a a rash around it. So I rang up uh, the doctor for an appointment. I was categorically refused an appointment and told to take a photograph and send it in. I'm sorry, but I get a bit bit emotional. I then took the photograph and sent it in. And to my delight, they rang me back a few hours later and said, the doctor said, you've got an infection. We'll give you some antibiotics. I took the antibiotics, obviously, for over a week. And uh, several weeks later, my wife said to me, you need to ring the doctor again. It's getting worse. So I rang the doctor again to be categorically told that the doctors wouldn't see me. I then said to them, I've been double jabbed, I'll wear a mask, I'll even wear rubber gloves, but I insist on seeing a a doctor. (sighs) Anyway, they did see me this time, and they referred me to have a biopsy done, uh, of which they told me it was cancerous. And I was then referred to um, Leicester Royal Infirmary, (laughs) where I was told, because of the delay, it was inoperable, and I've got less than 12 months to live unless I have therapy. I'm now having therapy, but I'm in terrible pain. And it's just disgraceful. If the doctor had seen me back in February, I'm sure they could have been able to operate and remove it. I've since shown that photograph to many, many medical professionals, and none of them can believe that I wasn't referred directly to dermatology to have it inspected. Yeah. Later on in that programme, Vine had a GP on, I think... Dr. Sarah Vine. I'm not sure if there's any relation. Is there a relationship? I don't know. And Vine seemed to find it staggering that he wasn't referred to an oncologist at the speed of light. That was Nick on Jeremy Vine's television programme this morning, 24 minutes past five. Now, the cabinet in uh, Ireland, the Dáil, the Irish government, has agreed to a plan that will effectively bring 
an end to restrictions in Ireland on October the 22nd, but it's contingent on COVID-19 cases remaining manageable in Ireland, and it's also contingent, wait for it, on 90% of adults being fully jabbed. We shouldn't say vaccine, so we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. Masks will still be required in the health and retail sectors and on public transport. Now, from September 6th, this is in Ireland now, the Republic of Ireland, larger crowds can gather for religious ceremonies with up to 50% capacity allowed in places of worship. This is the Irish government today. From September 6th, churches can fill, well, half their seats, or they can, they can fill half the pews for Sunday Mass, or for Saturday Night Mass. Outdoor sports events can have 50% capacity in stadiums, says the Irish government. Indoor venues can operate 60% capacity, but only for people who are fully vaccinated. So in Ireland now, this autumn, this winter, you won't be going to see Garth Brooks, or Dolly Parton, or I don't know who's going to be playing in Ireland this winter. You won't be going indoors unless you've been double jabbed. Yes. Live music indoors will be turned at weddings and in bars. But of course, indoors in Ireland, you can't get into a bar or a restaurant unless you can show that you've been double jabbed. This is Ireland. This is my country. I can't believe I'm speaking about my country in these terms. But I am. Let's have a listen to Stephen Donnelly then. He's the Irish Health Minister. Here he is speaking to RTE News shortly before these announcements today, Stephen Donnelly. And people are still nervous. You know, the hospitalisation rates are rising. We have 61 people in ICU who are very, very sick. That's both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. And people are cognizant of what's happening in Northern Ireland. Between Northern Ireland and Scotland, they have about two to two and a half times our COVID rate. If you look at the rate of increase in, in Scotland right now over the last two, two and a half weeks, it's, it, it's very, very sobering. So people are understandably very cautious. And uh, if I could take the opportunity to just re-emphasize a few, a few really important messages. One is there is an increasingly small number of people in the country who uh, are yet to choose to get vaccinated. It's so, so important that they choose to get vaccinated and get fully vaccinated. Not only are they protecting themselves, they're protecting their friends, they're protecting their families, uh, and they're helping us, you know, push this virus back and give it give it very few places uh, to go. For anyone who is feeling symptomatic, uh, register for a test. The P- we've, we've fantastic PCR testing all over the country. I was in the Galway walk-in centre there uh, recently, and it's three and a half minutes they have it down to door-to-door to go in, get PCR tested and get out. You'll have your results within about 24 hours. So we need to continue continue with the vaccines, get tested, isolate yourself, obviously, if, you've, if you're symptomatic, if you've been identified as, as, a, as being COVID positive. Mm. And after October, then, what will life look like in God's country? I think I've already told you, but let's hear it from Donnelly. So we would be transitioning to... Uh, public health advice, mask wearing and, and, and things that, that, that are sensible for us to have in place of the winter anyway be it, you know, around cough etiquette hand hygiene, those things that have uh, worked he, he did say cough etiquette quite well um, we're going to be living with COVID, I think it's pretty clear for some time past the 22nd uh, of October, so really it's about moving to a, to a phase where the, there's public health measures in place, we'll have a, a flu vaccine programme in place, we'll have a, we'll have a booster vaccine programme in place to, to try and try and tackle COVID that way. Mm, tackle COVID that way. And 
listeners based in the UK, and maybe if you're not in the UK, you probably know that plans are afoot. Well, they're trying to develop a COVID and flu vaccine in the one shot, aren't they? These are things that happened during my break. I didn't spend much time reading the newspapers when I was away, but certain things I couldn't avoid. So they're trying to develop a jab, which will give you a flu protection or protection against flu and COVID in the coming weeks. And they're hoping to have it ready by mid-autumn. Yes. And booster shots for people as well. All of that's coming down the line. A number of you are messaging me on richieallen.co.uk. So the decent thing to do is to read out some of these comments. Go to richieallen.co.uk. You can say hello to me or, or leave a comment where it says comment live. Just do that. I don't want your details. I don't want your address. I don't want to know anything about you. Your data will not be shared with anybody. Nothing will be marketed at you. That's what we do at richieallen.co.uk. Thanks again to Hayden Hewitt for organising that for me today. Emmett says, Richie, I'm a school teacher in Ireland and I'm terrified. I know they're coming for me regarding the jab. I don't know what I'll do. I'm so tired of COVID, so tired trying to talk sense to people. I'm just so tired of everything, says Emmett. Mate, that's how I felt three weeks ago. Yes. Thanks for the message, mate. Hi to Cliff. How you doing, Cliff? I had a lovely break. Thank you. Hi to Booney as well and to Stephen D. Hi to Hermione. Thank you, Hermione. To Diane Hughes, to Anwen, to Gail, to Claire Lynham. How you doing, Claire? To John, to Scottish John in Austin, to William Henderson. How you doing, William? Did I mention? I did mention John. Uh, do, by the way, do get on to richieallen.co.uk. You don't even have to have an account. Just leave a message, leave a comment, use any bloody name you want. I don't mind. That wasn't a skit. Some of you asking me, was that a skit about the water pistol? No. No, the woman thought she would take the water pistol to the alpaca rescue mission and fire the water pistol across the field of vision of the people taking away the animal so that their vision would be clouded and they could move on then with the, they could move on with the rescue. Patricia in Zurich, my friend Patricia, virologist to Charit Bakti warns parents, Richie, if you give that jab to your child, you are committing a crime. These shots are an experiment on humanity. They've never been used on humans. Anyone who gets one of these shots should consider themselves a guinea pig. Allowing children to get one is plain stupid, says Patricia. Well, that's actually Sacharit Bakti, quoted there by Patricia Braunschweiler, and she's absolutely right. That's what he said. And I think he's kind of qualified to say it, isn't he? I might not be. Well, I'm not. I'm just a journalist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm, I'm not somebody who understands vaccinology. But I like to listen to people with his experience when he says these things are potentially deadly. So that's why I've chosen not to have one. Hi to Dean Smith. How you doing, Dean? Good evening to Faisal. How you doing, Faisal? It's been a while. Alan in Liverpool. Joseph Ferris. How you doing, Joseph? Right, I'm going to take... Hi to Charlotte and Burnley. How you doing, Charlotte and Burnley? It's time for a tune. When I come back, Kevin Barrett, don't forget, Gerald Salente will be with me in the second hour. Tech issues permitting. Ah, it's really good to be back, by the way. Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway on the Richie Allen Radio Show, Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. 
As the time is 25 minutes to the top of the hour. And uh, let's talk Afghanistan then, shall we? Uh, most of the tweets, not the tweets because I'm not on Twitter, most of the messages I received today were messages from people asking me, were we going to talk about what's happened in Afghanistan in the last couple of weeks and what does it all mean? What's going on? What's the end game? What's the real agenda? What's the US government trying to do? What's the UK government trying to do? No better man to talk about that than an old friend of mine, a brilliant academic and journalist. You can find him at kevinbarrett.substack.com or truthjihad.com. It's great to welcome back my old friend from Madison, Wisconsin. This is the one and only Dr. Kevin Barrett. Kevin, welcome back. How are you? Hey, thank you, Richie. It's great to hear you. How it's you great doing? to hear you. Thanks for coming on. No better man to talk about this than you. Why has the United States left the nation of Afghanistan. What's really going on? Are we to believe that the US has ended its, um, not so much ended its interest in the country, but that it has determined that it will no longer have a base or have bases or have soldiers there um, forevermore? What's happening, Kevin? Well, I I think the US has been defeated. The uh, people of Afghanistan and specifically the Taliban have defeated the U.S. just like the Viet Cong did. And just like in that situation, Richie, I don't think that we should conclude that from now on until all eternity, the U.S. will be completely uh, hated by everybody in Afghanistan and it will fall like a ripe plum into the laps of the Chinese. It's not quite that simple. Just like with Vietnam, it didn't take very long, actually, before Vietnam started leaning back towards the U.S. a little bit as a counterweight to the power of its huge, powerful neighbor, China. And likewise, the U.S. has not been permanently dealt out of the Afghan equation completely, but it has had its illusions of being a sole hegemonic, unipolar, world-dominating superpower rudely shattered and a, a pretty ragtag bunch of very patriotic people who didn't like their country being occupied from around the world rose up and and defeated the biggest military in the world with most advanced technology. And that's actually, I think, something to celebrate. Not for many Afghans, though, Kevin, it won't be. Now, you and I know the history of the Taliban, and we also know a lot, I'm sure you know more than I do, you've researched it and studied it more than I have, But we know that the Taliban was at one time funded by the CIA. We know that it was funded by other interested parties in the region as well. And the people who suffered always were, I would say, the ordinary men and women of Afghanistan, many of whom don't want to live under the sort of rules and laws that, well, are inevitable once the Taliban forms this new government, Kevin. The Afghan people are going to suffer, right? These are not good guys. They might be in the right when it comes to, you know, defending their country against foreign invaders. I have less sympathy for my government, the Irish government, the British government and and the US government, but these are not good guys, right? Well, I I don't know if it's as simple as as labelling groups like that good guys or bad guys in the sense that, you know, in the war, they were the good guys in the struggle, you know, U.S. versus Afghanistan, the Taliban, they were the good guys in that struggle. But that doesn't mean that everything else that they've done is good. And eh, to some extent, I share your trepidations for the future, but not perhaps as as strongly as you do. 
I think there's a chance that the Taliban have learned from some of their mistakes from the 1990s, and they may not become as obstreperous and hidebound and, and wedded to their particular Pashtun tribal version of Islam with a little bit of Saudi Wahhabi uh, shading to it. And they may actually be able to get along with some of the non-Pashtuns, the non-Taliban, uh, the people who don't share that interpretation of Islam, and specifically some of the Shia people in Afghanistan. There are quite a few. And of course, the Taliban has a history of brutally mistreating some of them. Uh, and then there is, of course, also the, these, there's the issue of things like the kite flying and these other kinds of you know, women's rights and things like that. And so I think we still need to wait and see how that all uh, plays out. If we listen to what the Taliban are saying, they're clearly saying that they are going to open up their government uh, and allow some women. They're saying clearly that they will no longer be uh, pushing their brand of religious extremism on everybody, and they're going to have an inclusive government. And as uh, Pepe Escobar points it points out, inclusive is code for women and Shia. Um, so they may have changed somewhat. And I think that you know what the Americans right now are really upset about, but the ones who make policy, of course, not the people, is that the question is whether the Taliban are actually going to extend that amnesty that they announced to include the worst war criminals who murdered uh, many tens of thousands of Taliban sympathizers and supporters, including women and children and their families. The U.S. created death squads in Afghanistan, Richie, and systematically eradicated the women and children of uh, Taliban-friendly villages, just like in Operation Phoenix in Vietnam. So they've been systematically murdering thousands and thousands of innocent civilians uh, in this death squad program. And if the Taliban do end up pardoning those people, as their statements seem to indicate that they, they are saying they will, that would be pushing mercy far beyond any mercy that's ever been shown in the history of warfare by the United it's States. It's a big if, isn't it? Because while obviously we take with a massive dose, let alone a pinch of salt, what we hear from CNN and NBC News, of course we take with a pinch of salt, but there, there, there have been reports coming out of there that people who have been accused of even just working for U.S. contractors in the time that the U.S. has been there, that those people are being threatened with their lives and notes are being placed on their doors by Taliban sympathisers. I don't want to get into too much of a back and forth about this because, you know, it's apples and pears, really. You know, I understand what, what, what you're saying. And, yeah, you know, I, I saw the press conference this morning I've seen interviews with Taliban leaders and they're talking a good game about the things that they don't plan to do. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see how it pans out. What is very interesting there is, of course, is the presence of an Islamic State faction, which the Pentagon, I believe, has claimed numbers some 2,000 at least complete lunatics. And of course, they would they would supplant they would replace the Taliban wouldn't they what 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 does that mean kevin in the short term what's likely to happen could could the country descend into complete madness into total chaos where you have islamic state militants running riot in afghanistan and a taliban trying to kind of hold them off while the us and her allies kind of have a seat in pakistan and just have a look at it and you know, and open the peanuts and open the beers and watch it all unfold. What might happen there? Well, you're right. They're going to open the beers and peanuts and watch it unfold because they're the ones who created ISIS in the first place. 
And now their only strategy left is to try to destabilize Afghanistan so that it doesn't become a peaceful, stable and prosperous stop on the Belt and Road. And so that its minerals are not exploited by a consortium of other countries or highest bidders. I mean, when you get down to it, Richie, what this war was really all about from the get go was that the Taliban in the 1990s, and sure, they had plenty of faults. We don't approve of their cultural policies on kites and women and Buddhist statues, but that had nothing to do with this war whatsoever. And even less did Al-Qaeda or 9-11 have anything to do with it either. That was set up as a pretext. Uh, the invasion of Afghanistan was set in stone in July of 2001. The purpose was to get rid of the Taliban because they weren't uh, willing to do what they were being told to do from Washington. They were told to accept a pipeline deal with Unical, which is the CI-linked, big Western bankster-linked energy company. And they instead uh, got a better deal from Bridas in Argentina. Likewise, they were told in no uncertain terms to keep pumping the heroin so that the biggest Western banks and corporations can keep laundering all that drug money and keep their operations afloat in the West. Taliban said, no, they shut down the heroin completely. They, yeah. There was no heroin for a year and a half because of the Taliban shut it all down. And uh, likewise, they were told that, you know, you're going to have to give us the best deal on all of your resources or we will bomb you back to the Stone Age. And the Taliban said, the heck with you. Bye. And that's what the war has really always been about. Well, the U.S. lost. The U.S. cannot force Afghanistan to give up its resources at a way below market uh, rate simply because the U.S. can say, we'll bomb you into the Stone Age if you don't. We're yeah. in a new world now, Richie. The U.S. can't do that anymore in Afghanistan and maybe not anywhere else. So this then— the people in Afghanistan can get the best price they can possibly get for their, their gas. They can choose not to flood the world with heroin if they want to. This is all to be celebrated. This is—I I don't know if it's to be celebrated. I, I, I don't necessarily share your of enthusiasm there. But let, 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 me, let me go back to the poppy, because I think this is very important. You're listening to Kevin Barrett, folks, Truth Jihad. KevinBarrett.substack.com Great broadcaster. You'll find him on YouTube as well. An academic. Um, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, the university there. You know all about Kevin. And this is an area that he's obviously made a career out of researching and studying and talking about. I think regarding the poppy, I think you're bang on. And, and I wonder, you look at this, you've got your president there. I know you, you won't consider him to be your president, uh, Joe Biden. And he's taking hits from everybody for his, if it's not because he's been looking at his watch when coffins have been coming off planes, it's because he's been falling asleep in, in press conferences or, or whatever. But I wonder how much of this is staged and that the perceived withdrawal is really a bit of genius strategy evil. We talked about it a moment ago. If these are big problems for the US and for the CIA, and I, I believe they are, you know, the lack of access to, 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 the, to the heroin, to the opium, the poppies, all of that, oil, of course, and I think these are small potatoes ultimately, but let's stay with that for a moment. Well, it's a great strategy then, isn't it, Kevin? Get out and let the ISIS guys that you correctly said earlier that the US and France and Britain and Israel have funded to the tune of billions of pounds in weaponry and everything else. Let's get out, put the deck chairs up, let them wreck whatever's left of Afghanistan, and then we'll go back in at the very end and sweep up whatever's left. Makes sense to me. I don't know if they're going back in, Richie, but I do agree that they are using ISIS and other ways of uh, threatening Afghanistan with chaos 
to try to improve their bargaining position and to try to get those resources again. Instead of saying, we'll bomb you back to the Stone Age if you don't give us your resources cheap. Now they're saying, we will unleash ISIS and other uh, forces of chaos on you if you don't give us your resources cheap. We will make your life miserable one way or another. But still, I think it's an improvement that they've actually been beaten when they tried to bomb Afghanistan back to the Stone Age and mass murder millions of people uh, and and try to impose their will on Afghanistan and grab all those resources cheap, it failed. And so now they're falling back to plan B, as they always do, which is to just create chaos. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate people suffer horribly. Look what they did to Syria. They did the same thing to Syria. You know, give us everything we want or we will wreck your country. And they did. They wrecked Syria. So maybe they're going to keep trying to wreck Afghanistan through these proxy groups like ISIS. But I don't think they're ever going back in there. Why why did a country... Syria is a different story. People people might ask, why didn't the US invade Syria? Why didn't the 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 UK and a coalition go into Syria? Syria was well armed and of course it was protected of course by by Russia. Why why does a, a militarily why why does a a country as advanced militarily as the United States is, Kevin, why does it fail against a group of people who while their hearts might be as big as their country, you know, metaphorically, they're, they're, they're not, they don't have access to the same sophisticated weaponry and, 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 uh, and tactics, you might argue. Why does, how could the United States fail to achieve its target in Afghanistan? I'll never understand that. Well, I actually wrote in American Free Press recently that it's all about morale. People... Uh, students of military history, they know that morale is everything. Uh, Sun Tzu pointed out that the best victory is the victory that you can win without actually fighting because you've destroyed your enemy's desire to fight. And even though the U.S. has this huge military with a uh, massive uh, technological advantage, the U.S. knew that it was wrong from the get-go at some level. Sure, they whipped the people up into this hysterical frenzy with their 9-11 big lie false flag operation, pretending that Afghanistan had something to do with the neoconservative demolition of the Twin Towers and the murder of 3,000 Americans, but it didn't. And the Taliban has been saying that very clearly ever since. They have. never seen any evidence, not one shred of evidence. Even recently, Kev. Al-Qaeda had anything to do with that. Even recently, isn't that right? Since the... Take over. One or two Taliban spokesmen, that's right, has come out and said, and of course there is no evidence that that bin Laden had anything to do with it. We'll talk 9-11 in a moment, by the way. uh, Right, right, but this this is a morale issue, Richie. It's a morale issue. They know what they're fighting for. They're fighting to defend their country. We, at some level, know that we're fighting for a big lie, and that doesn't make us really very eager to lay down our lives for that fight. I suppose you could make the, the, the point that for centuries, various groups of people tried to conquer Ireland with varying degrees of success, but ultimately they didn't succeed because exactly. because you have a people unwilling to be conquered. And it didn't matter in many cases that we were outnumbered. And certainly when it came to, you know, military equipment and technology, we were certainly at a disadvantage. Now, the, the, the press, which lies through its teeth most of the time, is reporting that the US has lost billions of pounds worth of military equipment to the Taliban. And this is what I don't understand. And you and I, one thing we share, I think, is the ability to look beyond that headline and to wonder, you know, to ask some serious questions about that, to wonder what's really going on. I struggle to believe, Kevin, 
that the United States could just lose all of that military equipment, all of those guns in Afghanistan. I'll, I'll very briefly explain and then I'll shut up and get out of your way because I want to get your thoughts on this. I believe that the government, the, the US government, would have been concerned from the get-go about leaving behind lots and lots and lots of expensive hardware. So knowing that they planned on withdrawing from Afghanistan, it seems perfectly reasonable to me that they would have planned for not leaving that weaponry there and that they might have started slowly but surely taking that weaponry out ahead of the ultimate withdrawal. I don't understand why they wouldn't have done that and I can only speculate, and of course this is just pure theory or, or, or a guess, speculation, that they wanted to leave that stuff there for the Taliban. For well, the ISIS that, that's war. Interesting. But uh, I, it's possible. I doubt it, though. I, I, I think more likely, in this case, the official story that this whole thing is a gigantic catastrophe that un, unfolded much faster than they ever expected is probably true. And so they probably were planning to keep propping up the Afghan uh, fake puppet government for another at least like three months, maybe six months, maybe a couple of years if they got lucky. And during that time, that military equipment, of course, is going to be some of it's taken out and some of it is distributed to the, the local Afghan puppet government. Now, they they you know people have a tendency to lie to themselves and convince themselves of what they want to hear. You know, they want reality to, to be what what they want it to be, not what it really is. And so they've been just like in Vietnam, they've been consistently uh, claiming that things were much better for the Americans and their puppet government than they really were. And they may have convinced themselves to some extent with their own lies and propaganda. And this official story, which I actually tend to believe, is that they really thought that the puppet government would still be there in, say, the you know, beginning of 2022. And for that reason, they didn't probably feel tremendous urgency at getting all the weapons out. Also, it's it's not the end of the world for them. It's, it's a big black eye that they left those weapons there. But it's not like the Taliban are going to be invading anything important with those weapons anyway. So uh, I, I think if you keep those two things in mind, first, that the defeat was vastly faster and more catastrophic than they ever could have imagined. And then secondly, that those weapons are not a top-level national security priority. I think that would explain it. Yeah, interesting theory, Kevin. You might very well be right. Kevin Barrett is our guest. Writes for many publications. Go to truthjihad.com, kevinbarrett.substack.com. Look for Kevin on YouTube as well. Presents an excellent programme. An academic PhD. And let's leave that there then, because, look, we're just going to have to watch, I suppose, wait and watch and see what happens. We know, at least we're told, 2,000 plus lunatic ISIS headchoppers armed to defeat by the United States government and as I said, her allies, that's going to be, well, that could be absolute mayhem in the coming weeks and months. I'll be getting into it later on with another guest in the second there. But we are approaching the second anniversary, excuse me, the 20th anniversary of September the 11th. And of course, you and I met because of your courage in speaking out about September the 11th and asking challenging questions about the official story. And here we are all these years later, Kevin, 20 years. And would you believe what I was reading today in the UK press? I can't remember where I was reading it, but it was it was a story to do with Afghanistan today. And you know, they're still peddling the lie that Saddam Hussein had some sort of, you know, channel, back channel to the Taliban and that he was somehow supportive of what Osama bin Laden was doing. That lie, which has been exposed, debunked, laughed out of town uh, by you and, and by many, 
they're still pulling that like Kevin nearly 20 well we are 20 years from September the 11th and I think I ask you this pretty much most anniversaries did you hope by now that the wool would have been pulled from the eyes of the majority of the people of the world and they would understand by now what really happened on September the 11th and does that leave you with a you know sense of frustration or 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 disappointment that people still believe that the US was attacked by radical Islamists on September 11, 2001, and that the justified response to that was to basically destroy Iraq and Afghanistan. Is that frustrating or disappointing for you? Uh, Sure, it's frustrating, although I wouldn't agree that the majority of the people of the world think that. But yeah, probably the majority of the people in the West at least accept it. The polls show that uh, maybe a third of people in the West uh, doubt it, um, and maybe half of that doubt it very seriously or have some uh, knowledge and support for the truth movement. Uh, and then maybe another 20, 25, 30% sort of really believe the official story. But there's a lot of sort of confusion and doubt out there in the middle. So even in the West, it's not like everybody really believes this by any means. But if you go outside the Western countries, then you find that as there was a big headline, uh, a, a huge global poll, I forget which outfit did the poll not so many years ago, that the headline said, uh, the majority of the people of the world don't believe Al-Qaeda did 9-11. And so it's still, it's one of those topics that's going to be, uh, it's going to be murky and people are going to be arguing about it for quite a while. I, I would love it if somehow we could force the Western mainstream media, which has such uh, outrageously exorbitant global influence to admit the truth. But that's probably not going to happen because the people who own the media feel a very strong affinity with the people that did 9-11. I mean, even the if they're not directly complicit, even if they don't even agree with the politics, like the, a lot of the media is run by people who were basically uh, liberal, secular, progressivist types, uh, disproportionately ethnically Jewish, of course. Um, but even those people uh, are not in a huge hurry to blow the whistle on the fact that neoconservatives Uh, many of them with strong loyalties to the state of Israel, which wanted to hijack the U.S. military to destroy their enemies, the seven countries in five years that General Clark talked about, uh, did it. Nice liberal uh, people uh, are terrified of this, especially if they have the slightest bit of affinity for the state of Israel, which unfortunately about half the key people in our media do. So the media is going to just keep covering this up. Yeah, and look, there's, there's no point in me get, getting into this with you again because we disagree. I mean, I, I, I've always been fascinated by the presence of the Israelis in downtown Manhattan on the day and the photographing of the, the, the towers and then those guys being arrested and then let go. I think it's more likely that through back channels, the Israelis knew that it was going to happen. And listen, nobody in the independent media, and I'll stand up to you on that, Mr. Barrett, nobody has gone after Israel and the the influence of the state of Israel in Western democracies as much as I have on this daily radio programme. I've no time for Israel. I'm certainly not scared of, of them or their agents in this country or anywhere else. But I've never believed that Israel did 9-11. I, I, I just don't. I believe it was a self-inflicted wound. I think the Israelis probably knew it was going to happen. But look, you make a compelling case for, 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 for your point of view. And I, and I respect it, but I, I, don't, I don't see it. We, we've gotten into this many times in the past. I wanted to ask you on... on um, you mentioned the, the the media. Didn't Spike Lee... Now, maybe I've been on holiday, so maybe I read this wrong or, or, or I misheard it. But the filmmaker Spike Lee 
hasn't he made some film about September the 11th? And hasn't he left the space in the film for some of the architects and engineers, the guys who believe that the buildings were brought down by, 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 by explosive? And I think that has been reported in the mainstream media. That's interesting. Maybe it's not Spike Lee now, but some prominent filmmaker has made a film to do with what happened 20 years ago. It might be a film focusing on compensation for people who lost loved ones on the day, but definitely there, space was made in the film for, for the architect guys. I think that's very interesting, Kevin. Well, actually what happened was that Spike Lee uh, just did a 9-11 documentary and the original version included a full 45 minutes of very positive coverage of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and all of the evidence that the towers were blown up in controlled demolitions. And when the media, and specifically in this case, beginning with the New York Times, got uh, got whiff of this and got a hold of the, you know, the early version of the film, they went berserk. And uh, a huge outpouring of vitriol and, and hatred, really, uh, subdued a little bit, but barely hidden, was issued from mainstream media sources towards Spike Lee, essentially threatening to lynch him. Uh, and so Spike Lee, terrified, uh, said, wait, wait, I'm going back into the editing room. And he edited all of that out of his film. Now, if you actually look at the names of the people who wrote these stories attacking Spike Lee in uh, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Jewish Daily Forward, uh, Algeminer, and all these other Jewish uh, newspapers in the United States, the, the mainstream writers, they're all Jewish names, <laughs> the, the lynch mob that lynched Spike Lee for putting architects and engineers in, in, for 9-11 Truth in his film are almost all from the same group that has that loyalty in, in various degrees to that entity in the Middle East, uh, the genocidal entity occupying Palestine that was the only entity on earth to benefit from 9-11. Well, well if, no, that's again, not true, no. Christopher Bolin on the people who owned the Twin Towers, who privatized the Twin Towers, and who obviously set up the demolitions, names like Larry Silverstein, and you... Uh, but it's not true that the Israelis country, exclusively... You know, exclusively it's, it it's, the un, it's very unfair to say that Israel exclusively, or almost exclusively, benefited from what happened on September the 11th. The military-industrial complex, companies like Raytheon, Companies like BAE Systems, Kevin, they made billions. Companies like Halliburton made billions. So it's not just Israel. And look, I bet you, if you look at the attacks on Spike Lee, which I wasn't aware of, I bet you it's not all Jewish writers. I bet you it's pretty much everybody, right? I mean, if he's, if he's, if he's been pillar, pillar, pilloried, if he's been hammered for including the architects and engineers guys, I bet you it's pretty much across the spectrum that he's been, he's been criticised. I doubt that it's exclusively Jewish journalists. Uh, it's probably not exclusively, but I actually covered this for for False Flag Weekly News uh, the other week, and I looked at uh, the, all of the top ones that pop up when you do Google searches, and it's really kind of shocking <laughs> the uh, the ethnicity of the names that are leading the that led the lynch mob that terrorized Spike Lee into pulling his film. And Spike Lee, he works in Hollywood, and just Google the phrase "Who runs Hollywood?" Come on, uh, written by a Jewish Hollywood insider who points out that. Well, uh, read it. Who I remember that. I remember. I remember the article. It's a very interesting article. I, I'm Manny Friedman wrote the article, if I remember. And it was Joel. Uh, I forget his last name. Joel somebody. Was it Joel somebody? And I, I know that the Times of Israel has deleted all, all. No, ever, yeah, ever, that's a different one. Manny Friedman wrote a different one. To Manny the same Friedman. For the Times. 
Yeah, basically saying, look, we shouldn't, you know, we as 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 a group of people, as a culture group, we shouldn't apologise for owning the media or doing really well in the media. We do. And he goes on to explain why he believes that so, because of persecution against the Jews and the need to, you know, to uh, have some control over the narrative about Jewish people and all of that. Look, I love butting heads on this but, but particular subject. But they're attacking subject. Richard Gage for being supposedly anti-Semitic. Every major article uh, lynching Spike Lee for including architects and engineers in his film uh, called Richard Gage anti-Semitic. Why? Because he appears at events with people like me and Christopher Bolin. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't. He, he's never said anything about uh, who who he's. You know, he's never spoken out about who did it uh, directly. But that's that they're using that as guilt by association yeah. to go after him. And who are they? And who would use that strategy? Who are you talking because to, my friend? This program has been mentioned hundreds of times in the British mainstream press. I must be anti-Semitic, Kevin, because I speak to people like you and uh, who I like. I like you. That's why I have you on because I see things a bit differently than you and my audience need to hear a different side of it. But um, that's how they believe they will destroy the independent media. They will destroy people by association. It doesn't matter that I don't necessarily see things as you see them. I do. A lot of things I, 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 I see uh, very similar to you. It doesn't matter by the fact that I've had you on and because you believe that Israel was implicitly involved in September the 11th, I therefore must be a hateful anti-Semite. Now, I don't, I don't believe you're a hateful anti-Semite, as it happens. I don't believe that. If I did, I would call you a hateful anti-Semite. But this is the tactic, isn't it? It's to scare people coming... To, it's to scare people into not coming on programmes like this one. Don't come on. Why? Well, because we'll call you racist. Why? Well, because you were on a programme that Kevin Barrett was on or somebody from Red Ice Radio was on or, or somebody else. This is a, a tactic, Kevin, and I, I'm sad to report it's one that's working. Would you believe? Unfortunately, yeah. And, and yeah. what it ultimately does is it, it prevents people from hearing the truth. Uh, Richard Gage will tell you a lot of true things about why we know that the World Trade Center was explosively demolished. It didn't just fall down from jet yeah, plane fueled fires. 100%. But he can't tell you that if they if they call him an anti-Semite and, and scare Spike Lee into erasing him. They're just erasing the truth using this strategy. I and didn't I'm know. I'm really tired of it. I, I'm tired of it too. I didn't know. You see, again, because I, I literally came back today after just over three weeks away and I heard on the grapevine Spike Lee, bit of trouble, but I didn't have time to read it today. It's distressing to me that somebody like... Now, I, look, I'm not going to give Spike Lee any credit. I've enjoyed some of his movies, but I think he's a bit of an arsehole sometimes as well. But that he wouldn't have the, the fortitude, Kevin, to say, no, these guys have said something interesting. My audience needs to see it. The fact that he ran to the edit suite and cut the film, and I've no no reason to doubt you because you wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. That's distressing, Kevin. That's, well, it's disgraceful, disgraceful, really. It's the end of journalism, isn't it? And he's not the first to do this. Yeah. Over and over, we see these same uh, mostly Zionist-linked forces terrorizing, intimidating, and, and indeed uh, lynching and, and erasing uh, so many great people out there. And, and 90 plus percent of the time, it works. The people back down, apologize, uh, beg for forgiveness. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry I was such an anti-Semite to include uh, Richard Cage in my 9-11 film. 
uh, I, I wish people would learn to stop apologizing. Um, it's uh, the apologizing doesn't get you anywhere. It just encourages them. It's like a bully when a bully attacks you and brutalizes you. If you, you know, say, oh, oh, Mr. Bully, I'm so sorry for existing and angering you. Yeah. Then you'll just do it again. You need to punch the guy in the nose. Well, you need to go on the attack. When Sky News and the BBC and Channel 4 News and The Guardian and every other newspaper in this country claimed that I was a, a platform for hate and all that bollocks, I just went after them, called them out and say, well, I'm not. And if you have any courage, you'll bring me on your programs. And that's how you call them out. You say, you've not offered me right of reply because you're, because you're a coward and a liar. That's all you are. You know, if you had anything on me, of course, that's the thing. And look, I'm not important. I'm just a presenter. I'm not important. You're a researcher. If they really had anything on somebody like me, and I present the most listened to independent radio show in the world, Kevin, that's not an idle boast in the world. If they had anything on me, they'd have me on, wouldn't they? They couldn't wait to get you in the studio if they had something on you. But they don't. So what they do is they make false claims against you, knowing full well that you don't have the money to take them to court. This is the problem. If I had the money, you need about a half a million pounds in England to take somebody to court for libel. You need that because you've got to put up the guarantee just in case you lose, right? It's so rigged, it's unbelievable. So they say things about people and they know those people don't have any real recourse. There's nowhere to go, basically. And what I do is I just say, look, I've got a massive audience and I'll keep calling you out for what you are. And I certainly won't back down. I won't stop inviting people on just because you say they're racist or hateful. I won't do that. And uh, and you hope that eventually enough people will hear it and some change will come out of it. But I don't hold my breath either, you know. We're, we're just about to run out of time, Kevin. Uh, mention where people can hear you. We know where we can read you. Owns.com and America Free Press. Where can people see and hear you online? Well, you can find all my radio shows by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the radio schedule link. And truthjihad.com also has a Substack subscribe button and links to the other work I do at Press TV and places like that. We'll always uh, have room for a chat, you and me. Been speaking to you for many years, articulate, brilliantly briefed. Uh, Kevin, I love having you on. And I think, obviously, in in, in the very near future, we'll, we'll be picking up Afghanistan again and what's going to happen there in the coming uh, weeks and months. Thanks for your time today, my friend. Love having you on. Cheers, Kevin. Thanks, Richie. It's great talking to you. That's uh, Kevin Barrett, truthjihad.com. Check out Kevin there, kevinbarrett.substack.com. Old friend of mine, been speaking on my radio shows now for many, many years. Good to have Kevin on. And on that subject of Afghanistan, we kind of went around the houses there. Gerald Salente will be with me from Kingston, New York. Do check out trendsjournal.com, trendsjournal.com, trendsresearch.com. We'll get you there as well. It's really good to be back with you. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show live from Salford, the magnificent city of Salford here in the northwest of the UK. Uh, I'm with you every Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time with a programme that I like doing. It's called Sunday Morning Melodies. Look forward to that every Sunday at 10. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk 
richieallen.co.uk. We've put Patreon details there and very, very detailed details about the bank account. Now, when we have a chat with Gerald, I'm going to speak to you for a few minutes about what's happening with the programme financially because the PayPal account close closure, the, the closure of the account by PayPal has very serious consequences for the programme because I think about 96% of the support for the programme came through PayPal, which is the reason, of course, the account was closed. I won't bore you with that when I talk about it later on. I'm going to be very brief, but it's very important that we talk about that later on and how you can continue to support the programme because if you are a supporter or have been through PayPal, you will be getting bounce back emails from PayPal telling you that your support or your donation, as they would call it, although we don't say donate because I'm not a charity, hasn't gone through because my account has been closed down. Now, I've made a complaint, fat lot of good. It will do me to the financial ombudsman, a very detailed complaint about that. I've claimed discrimination. I've claimed that PayPal shouldn't have the right to close my account without giving me specifics and not just saying you have violated our acceptable use policies, which of course I didn't. Uh, The Richie Allen Show was tax compliant. I've never broken the law in my life. It's completely above board. There was nothing wrong with the use policies from PayPal. PayPal has known from day one, from 2014, what the account was for. It was for uh, the listeners if they felt like it, because it was never compulsory, it was always voluntary, if they felt like supporting the programme, they could send a couple of quid or a fiver or a tenner or a price of a cup of coffee. They could do that. It's been working like that for seven years. PayPal has taken 5% of every transaction for itself, meaning that it was in business with me. I'm not happy about it. I don't think I'll get any satisfaction from the financial ombudsman, but I'm going to try anyway. I'm saying, look, this is not right. Somebody has obviously made a complaint against the programme to PayPal. That's none of PayPal's business, none of their business. As long as the programme is legitimate, as it is, as long as I'm legitimate, as I am, it shouldn't matter to a company like PayPal if some arsehole sends them an email and says that Richie Allen has got a hate platform or any of that bollocks. shouldn't matter to PayPal. At the very least, the person being accused uh, should be told specifically not only what the specific allegation was, but specifically who made it. We'll get into that briefly. I promise I won't bore you later on, but it is very, very, very important, right? At least I think it is. The future of the programme depends on it, really. It's uh, 14 minutes past six. This is The Richie Allen Show. Gerald Salente, live from Kingston, New York State. He'll be with me in a couple of minutes' time. He got Afghanistan spot on from the very get-go. This is Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. 6.15 UK time, quarter past six. It is The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Norman Greenbaum is there in spirit in the sky without wasting any time whatsoever. Welcome back to the programme, my old friend, terrific, terrific journalist, broadcaster and the man who edits, the man who founded the Trends Journal. Go to trendsjournal.com, accurately, spookily, accurately predicting geopolitical and macro and microeconomic trends around the world for many, many years. He called Afghanistan down to the letter, to the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's. Let's welcome back the one and only Gerald Salente. 
Thanks for being there today. Short notice too. How are you? Um, you know, I'm not how am I? You know, physically I'm I'm in great shape and uh uh spiritually I'm fine, morally I'm okay. But um I'm a visionary and my my work is to see ahead. And it's hell on earth. I'm heartbroken about what's happened to our society and how drug dealers, the military industrial complex, the bankster bandits, and big tech have destroyed our lives. And they've robbed us of our freedom, liberty, and the uh, pursuit of happiness. It's right in front of our eyes that you are not allowed to say, listen, I don't want to take a gene therapy shot, the first of its kind, ever injected into the human body. And and it's not my choice to do it. Okay, don't do it. You, You have no freedom anymore. You can't go into restaurants. You can't go to events. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. But how about, could I heal myself naturally? Why, you stupid son of a bitch. What the hell is the matter with you? Heal yourself naturally? Why, how dare you say that? Oh, by the way, the first book I worked on was called Natural Healing back in the mid-80s. It was a Warner book. Jack Saltonoff was the doctor. And my former wife, may she rest in peace, is the one that sold it to Warner Books. And I have an honorary doctorate from the National University of Health Sciences for the work I've done in complementary and integrated medicine. But that doesn't count. The beginning of society, what they find a, a skull 36,000 years old just recently? Uh, oh, I know. It all began when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's a different story. But the point that I'm saying is that this whole drug dealer thing, is it's, it's a brand new invention. What is it? About 150 years old, 200 years old. And it's drug dealers. So you're not allowed to nat- heal yourself naturally. You're not allowed to get in good shape. You must take a drug. So to me, what's going on now, it's heartbreaking. I, there was just had a, a rally down in New York City at Columbus Circle. And I was asked to be one of the speakers this past Saturday. And I went down. And only about 2,000 people showed up. This is New York City, population 8.3 million. And then when you put the metropolitan area into it, you were over, you know, about 20 million. And only about two, 3,000 people showed up. And the reason being is that most people believe in what they're being told. Yeah. Just as they marched off to Mussolini, hiled Hitler, saluted Stalin, and was stupid enough to believe a murderous piece of scum crap like the piece of shit that you got over there in the UK, Tony Blair. Look at this clown. How could anybody with a pair of balls bigger than a pea look up to this shit like him and a little Georgie Bush? A little Georgie Bush, an arrogant boy born on third base, thought he had a home run, looking up to them and taking us to war. And, and again, you mentioned that you know, I was the I, I got blackballed from the media. I used to be on Oprah, the Today Show, Good That's Morning nice. America. Everybody. I got blackballed for saying America would lose the Afghan war. From day one, so I remember. Yeah, from day one. Yeah. 
So people, you know, it, it, it's heartbreaking for me that people are buying the crap and not fighting for freedom. There's a thing that I read at the rally and the police, by the way, were cool. They didn't bust anybody's chops. They did, They left us alone. And we marched down to Bryan Park, which was, you know, about a 15, 20 minute walk down, you know, down the main streets and, and they didn't bother anybody. But there's a thing called the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights that are among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So those unalienable rights have been stolen from us by alien minds. Life, liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness? Screw you. What happiness are you talking about? You're not allowed to have any happiness, you piece of shit. Get back in your house. Get back in your house. I'm locking you down. I'm locking you down. You will have no happiness. You will have no happiness. You will not go to events. You will not go to restaurants. You will have no happiness unless you do what I tell you to do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As just a plantation worker on the global plantation of Slavelandia. I work for Walmart. I work for Google. I work for Target. Yeah, yes, sir. I do what you says. You're, Liberty, you have none. You're still in shock, right? We we spoke three and a half weeks ago. And it doesn't matter sometimes. You can see something coming. And you saw what de Blasio did. You saw that coming. But it doesn't make it any easier. I mean, I, I visited New York City one time and it blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like it. I'll never see anything like it again. And to have a mayor tell people on national television that you don't get to be a citizen. You don't get to participate unless you do what we tell you to do. You're still in shock, aren't you? You saw, you knew yeah. that was coming, but you can't believe it still. And, and I can't believe what's going to happen next. That's, that's what I'm saying. I'm a visionary. That's, I'll put my work up against anybody's. Am I right all the time? Of course not. Who the hell is? More than you're not, though. I'll put my track record up against anybody in the world. Show me the books you've written. Show me your magazines, and we can begin to talk. I see the future. And, the, and again, the Declaration of Independence, that to secure these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, quote, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You got it, fat boy? Warren Wilhelm Jr., you piece of shit that changed your name to de Blasio so you'd get the Italian votes? You are a Wilhelm. You're a Nazi little prick. And I'll call that to his face. I had the people out there, two, 3,000 people, saying, shove that mandate up your ass. Shove that mandate up your ass. The just powers from the consent of the governed. Who the hell are you to tell me what to do? That when, quote, that when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people 
to alter or abolish it. This is the Declaration of the Independence designed to reduce them under absolute despotism. And that's what we have now. Absolute despotism. And no fight. Only few of us are fighting. But you know, you shouldn't knock yourself for, I mean, you said two or three thousand. It's a remarkable thing to get two or three thousand people out in this time under these circumstances. No, it's not. It's nothing. And we're talking about, you know, a oh, you population. Did well, I think. No, it's nothing. We have to unite. That's the point that I'm trying to make. If we all don't unite under one umbrella, it's worthless. These demonstrations of protests, the way they are going now, are worthless. They could give a flying F. We have to unite and can't stop. Amen to that. I can't, I can't follow that. You're, you're absolutely right. It's going to be... Well, before we come to Afghanistan, it's important we stay with this COVID hoax for, for, a, for, for a bit. Here in the UK, we're, we're now starting to hear about the, the, the third jab, the booster jab. We're now hearing about, we need to jab all the children. We're now hearing about a combined flu and COVID jab that everybody would get. Um, so we, we're expecting here, or at least those of us that are some, somewhat awake, we're expecting things to get very, very serious in the, in the winter. What, 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 what's going to happen in the next few months? How far are they going to push this in terms of imposing it on people? What lengths will they go to, do you think? This is what I'm trying to say to you. It's right in front of your eyes. They're doing it. Yeah. They're imposing more. They're robbing us of our rights. And again, you go back to the vaccinations. Let's go back to November, December. Again, we wrote about this. You you get the Trends Journal. What, 162 pages last week. No, that's ads. right. Yeah, yeah. We're taking two weeks off. I'm exhausted. Uh, we went from a monthly, a quarterly to a monthly to a weekly. And anyway, go back to 2020. November, December, January 21, February. The vaccination was 96% efficacy rate, the Pfizer vax. Now, according to the Israeli health ministry, it's down to 39%. You, you're, telling me it went for, you're telling me you sold it at 95, 96, 96 and now you're selling 39 why would I want to take it? And look at what they've done, how they use the people to sell it. The entertainment industry, the, and, and again, one after another, from Krispy Kreme to, and now they're forcing you don't, no, no jab, no job. That's right. This, this is unprecedented in human history. This is serious, and it's only going to get worse. If we don't stop it, and the only way I see you st- us stopping it is to unite. If we don't unite, we lose. We're finished. What What is in these jobs that makes them so determined for every single person on the planet to have it? That's you that's know, a fair I, I question. No, I you know I hear people saying you know what it will do with the gene their gene therapy. 
They're not vaccinations. That's right. And again, it's the first time they've been injected into humans. And that this is going on is, is, is beyond the belief and that so many people could do it. But the, the, the bottom line is, as I see it, they're drug dealers and they're interested in making money. And that's all they care about. And by the way, I worked for Warner Lambert, which was, became Pfizer back in 1997. They hired me to do, they had a lot of different um, companies like Schick Razor and on and on. And they wanted to know which ones to keep, which ones to get rid of. And, you know, I used to do consulting for major businesses. And, uh, man, it was, holy, oh, what a tight, tight organization, this one. You didn't say a word off key. It was, uh, and that's who's running the show. They're, they're drug dealers. People, morons and imbeciles call them big pharma. I lost a niece, opiate addiction. Look, look at the, there's not one allotropic drug on the market that cures a chronic degenerative disease. Not one, not one, not one. But yet everybody takes them. Limping along. Rather than getting in good shape. Yeah, limping along, managing the symptoms. Yep. And look, let's, let's talk about Afghanistan then, because I was thinking of you today. A number of people got in touch with the programme and they said, you mentioned your niece, God have mercy on your niece, who, uh, who had to, 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 to deal with opiate addiction. It can't have been easy for anybody involved there. What impact will, before you talk about why the US has ended up leaving Afghanistan, and again, you predicted this way back when, when it was a very unpopular thing to say, when people, not many people, because there was only one or two people saying it, you were being cancelled by the mainstream media for saying that it was a bad thing to do because you were unpatriotic, even though you called it, this is what's going to happen. Before we get into why and what it means for the region, the Taliban and the ISIS presence in Afghanistan now, what will the Taliban taking control of Afghanistan mean for for drugs on the streets of America and New York City? Will it have an impact on the supply of heroin to the streets of the United States. Go back to 2000, 1999. They, they stopped opium production, the Taliban. People don't remember that. These are very religious Muslims. They're not for that at all, and they're slowing it up again. It was the drug dealers. Was they, they were doing great when the Americans and the NATO were there. Again, you get all the heroin you want. You probably heard the heard big, the, the big drug dealers, big pharma more than anybody. But um, the uh, people don't realize. And, and again, ISIS. Again, we wrote about this when it was happening with with the the Taliban. They wanted to negotiate with Bush, and he his words. We have no time to talk. We're going there because Osama bin Laden is there. We're going to bring him back dead or alive. You're invading a whole country because one guy that you want to get is over there. They had nothing to do with that. Who created the Tal? Who created Al Qaeda? Do you know who? The CIA. Jimmy Carter had a lot to do with his administration. Yeah, yeah. To get the get to the Russians were fighting the Taliban. Afghanistan was becoming a very cool place, artistically, culturally. 
and the, and the United States supported the Taliban. Who, who are the people that allegedly bombed the World Trade Center and the Pentagon? Oh, only 15 of the 19 were allegedly Saudis. That's right. But you, Salenti, and the American people of Slavelandia are not allowed to look at the data and the reports and the intelligence. Because, oh, we can't show it to you because it'll... Yeah, screw you. Anyway, it was the Saudis that the United States created this terrorist group to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. And the reason I said the Americans would lose, USA Today, when it was a big newspaper, used to run my top trends every year. And we do our trends for the new year in December. So in December, we say what's going to happen the next year. And I think it was December 14th or 12th around there, they came out with my trends for 2001. And it said, Trendseer says, 2001 won't be our year, Trendseer says. And I warned that a wave of anti-Americanism was sweeping the globe. And Americans wouldn't be safe at home or abroad. Five years earlier, I was writing about Crusades 2000, about how NATO and the Americans were forming a new Crusades to overthrow different governments in the region. People forgot that Bill Clinton was bombing the hell out of Iraq every time he got his pants down, caught. Yeah, that's right. And Madeleine Albright, or not all that bright, another murderous piece of crap. If only women were in charge, you know, screw you. Good, bad, white, green, yellow, women, men, they all come in good and bad in all racist creeds or colors. I'm tired of hearing that crap. Yeah, how about Condoleezza Rice? Yeah, the next mushroom cloud you see, or oh, that one, yeah, the souls of the Afghan war. Oh, would you have Theresa, what was that woman over there you had over there in the UK? Oh yeah, what kind of war did she like? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, one after, anyway, going back to Madeleine Albright, she's on 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl, and Leslie Stahl asks her, is the price of 500,000, a half a million, 500,000 Iraqi children under the age of five worth to death because of the sanctions that Bill Clinton put on them. And here she's the UN ambassador. And she said, yes, it is. And then it was the Kosovo war. And then it's what America does in supporting Israel to develop the apartheid state of Israel and shaft over the Palestinians. And we used to say in the Bronx, payback's a bitch. So I saw this coming. So now when it happens, all the media is contacting me. How did you know this would happen? I said, I've been writing about it for years. Years and years, yeah. So, and then they said, well, what do you think is going to happen with the Afghan? Why? Well, so we're going to lose. What? Why America has the biggest army? Blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, if Alexander the Great couldn't pull it off, if the British couldn't pull it off into the Valley of Death Road to 600 at the height of the British Empire, if the Russians couldn't do it, what makes you think America is going to do it? They couldn't win the Vietnam War. Why? You're unpatriotic. You know, fuck, yeah, screw you. You know, no, you were right the first time. I'm a true American. Yeah. I'm a true American. I believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I bought the most historic, built on the most buildings on the most historic four corners in America where the seeds of democracy was sown. And I fight for Occupy Peace. Don't you call me an anti-American. Uh, uh, anti but listen to what George Bush was saying back then. 
with the Afghan war. You're either with us or with the terrorists. And 88% of the people believed them. And all the media now, no coverage about the illegality of the war and how it was a loss from the beginning. None. None. Remember back in the day when you had goons like Bill O'Reilly screaming at, not, not screaming at you specifically, but well, at let, anybody. Let me interrupt you. Yeah. I was on with Bill O'Reilly once before this happened, and he tried to scream at me. More on you. And it didn't work. And he never had me back on. Another little ballish guy, yeah. these little tough guys, when they're on camera. And when you call them out man to man, they don't know whether they're piss or shit. No, they don't. And uh, that's true about O'Reilly. In the five minutes we've got left then, look, I, I don't have your um, knowledge of the region and of what's happened there. But I have a little bit of your nouse, I think. I, I can't believe that it's as black and white as the United States are accepting defeat. I believe you're right. They lost, and you knew they would. I'm not disputing that. But I think there's something more strategic to what they're doing than is apparent at first glance. Like, there might be some method in the madness of of, of tucking their tail between their legs and running. Are they setting it up for an Armageddon war between the Taliban and ISIS while they watch. No. What are, what's no. going on? You tell me. No, 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 no. First of all, who gives a damn about Afghanistan? How many people can find it on the map? You know, it, it, although that's like it, it caring about what goes on, you know, in uh, Tajikistan. Yeah. Or, or Uzbekistan. And matter of fact, America... And, and, and the UK and NATO, they're dumb fuckistan. But anyway, going on, <laughs> what they're going to do, my greatest fear is that when all else fails, they take you to war. They're going to take us to another war as the global economy crashes because of the COVID war. People forget why America went to war against that. Bush's popularity rating was going down to the toilet. Yeah, it was, yeah. The dot-com bust happened. Again, I had forecast that it's in the Trends Journal, the October 1999 issue. I forecast the dot-com bust. Everything was booming, booming. And I said, this thing's going to bust. It, and I said it would break by the second quarter of 2000. It broke in March of 2000. America went into a severe recession. Bush's popularity was plummeting. What happened next? The war. 9-11. Yeah, and then the war. The Afghan war. Popularity surged. Won a second term. When all else fails, they take you to war. And I'm concerned if the COVID war is going to take us to World War Three. And just as the people obediently marched off to the COVID war, they'll march off to World War Three, which will be the war when they asked, Albert Einstein, what weapons will be used to fight in the Third World War? He said, I don't know, but they'll be using sticks and stones to fight the Fourth. That's right. And you and I have talked about this before. It, it won't necessarily be fought with nuclear weapons, will it? I, I'm not saying that, that you don't think it, it might, might. It might be nuclear, whatever, yeah. biological. Yeah. Uh, think Proxy of, think wars of, everywhere. Yeah. And think of tens of thousands of drones dropping whatever they want on top of you. You can't stop it. 
Well, we have a defense system that we paid the military industrial complex for. You know, you know, screw you. Get the hell out of here. Is that how you, well, I know you see it like this because you predicted this that's many, many years see, ago. And that's why I am yeah. the way I am. I see when all else fails, they take you to war and we are going to have a, look, we have a failing economy. Things, you know, when I was a kid, they used to play, huh, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yeah. Hey, we are kids, you know, growing up. You were out, you know, your parents couldn't control you. We're all over the place. <laughs> 10 o'clock now, everything is dead. Nothing. I just got back from Phoenix. I did a gig for uh, Max and Kaiser and Stacey Herbert, a Bitcoin gig. And I was staying at the Valley Ho Hotel. This is a place where all the, the, the celebrities used to stay in the 50s. They stopped serving at the bar at 10 o'clock at night. This is in, you know, Scottsdale, you know, Phoenix area, where it's supposed to be opened up. Everybody in the place wearing masks that serves there. Every restaurant I went into, people were wearing masks. Where I am now, no, no mask, no entry in a lot of places. And of course, no vaccination, no entry. 10 o'clock, do you know where your children are? The place used to be alive. New York City's dead. There's no vibe left anymore. So when all else fails, they take you to war. And that's my greatest concern. I see it coming, unless we change it. Because this is a dark America and a dark world ahead of us. Folks, you've got to subscribe to the Trends Journal. Go to trendsjournal.com. Uh, I am lucky enough to receive it every week. It's on, it's on hiatus this week because the man is on a, a well-earned uh, mini break, although you're in the office today, to your credit. Trendsjournal.com. You'll find it at trendsresearch.com. Find Trends in the News on YouTube as well. Always good to have you oh, on. Yeah. Always and good go to have you on, Gerald. Twitter, Gerald Salenti. Go to YouTube. And also I'll be speaking at Ron Paul's uh, the War Against Us event in Washington, D.C. this Saturday. And that's so being very, streamed. That's being streamed, isn't it? That'll be I, available I to watch. So, yeah. Yeah. so And, and um, I'm so honoured, you have no idea. There's no man I look up to more than Ron Paul. He's a gentleman. Many, many, many years ago, I think I was in Spain at the time. I had him on for 20 or 25 minutes. I really enjoyed speaking with him. So um, you, you've got an amen from me there. Gerald, thanks, mate. Thanks to your staff as well for making it happen today. We'll speak again next month. Love having you on. Thanks again. Thank you. Gerald Salente, live from Kingston, New York. Go to trendsjournal.com. Subscribe to the journal. It's a terrific read. It is 17 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Back after this. Thank God something played there. You're listening to the saviour of the independent media. It's your Richie Allen. It is your Richie Allen. Welcome back to the programme. 14 minutes to the top of the hour. The BBG with you till 7 o'clock. Back at it. So every Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock and every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes, that's 10am Sunday morning melodies. Now, I'm going to be as brief as I can. So about two and a half weeks ago, halfway through my holiday or not long through my holiday, got a message from PayPal. Simply said, you can no longer do business with PayPal. You're gone. Reason given, none. So I got in touch with them and they wouldn't speak with me. So I rang them in London twice. Now, on both occasions, the, the person I spoke with was fairly polite. And I said, look, I want to know why it's not good enough. You know, I've been an account holder for many years. Money has been going through that account for seven years and you've taken a fat chunk of it 
in that time. Please explain specifically what it is that I could have done for you to close the account. Now, on each occasion, they put me on hold and then the call was disconnected, presumably because the call centre person couldn't get any answer from anybody in authority. Because this is how companies like PayPal play ball. They cover themselves by refusing to entertain any discussion with you about why you've been cancelled. It's the same with Twitter. It's the same with Facebook. They covered their arses by refusing to give you a specific. You're in violation of this. How? They don't get back to you. But the problem for this programme is this programme has been going since the 14th of September mm, 2014. Seven years in a couple of weeks. And from the get-go, the programme was always going to be supported by the listeners. It was never going to be put behind a paywall. I was never going to charge for it. You might say, well, you know, maybe you should have done that. At the time, maybe you should have thought of that. And we never thought about it. I'm the only person that works at the Richie Allen Show. Me, I do everything, right? I have some help from time to time. People like Hayden, people like Paul Ripley that do things for me. But but I do it. And I was adamant from from day one that it either got voluntary support from the listener or I would go and do something else. And thankfully, it basically wipes its face every month and leaves a little bit left over for me. That's how it works. And that's how it's worked for seven years. Problem is, about 96% of those who do support the programme uh, supported it through PayPal. So for two and a half weeks or so now, nothing has come into the programme. Apart from, uh, there is a bank account and there are some, there is some support that comes to the bank account, but not very much. This is a problem. Now, to put the programme on air costs about £1,600 a month. Now, that's, that's to break even. That's not paying me. That's not paying me a cent. It needs £1,600 to cover the streaming cost, the podcast hosting cost, and other, what would you call them, other running costs for a programme like this. That's what it needs to do. And I'm not going to go on about the size of the audience again. The audience size is massive. It's huge. You know that. Hundreds of thousands of people listen to it live. Uh, millions take the podcast. This is a fact. It's not an idle boast. You can check it out for yourself. You know that before my holiday, the programme was beating talk radio. It was beating LBC. It was beating the BBC in the iTunes podcast charts. It's got an enormous audience. But funnily enough, it doesn't matter how big the audience is, only a tiny fraction will ever support it or will ever engage with it. We call them active listeners. That's a tiny, 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 tiny percentage. It's always been like that. I can't do anything to change it. But just think about it for a minute. The great majority of people who listen to this programme never have and never will support it financially. And I'm okay with that. Up to a point. (laughs) Because it has to be paid for. And I've got to get something as well. I work 80 hours a week on this programme putting 250 to 270 live radio shows on the air a year. And it's not just any live radio show. It is the best live radio show that you've ever heard. 
That's 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 a, that's that's a, that's strong stuff. That that's arrogant. You might say that's arrogant. It's boastful, but it's a fact. It's the best radio show in the world, produced, presented, edited by one man. There's never been anything like it. If I was wrong, it wouldn't be getting millions of downloads every month on. 15 or 20 different podcast platforms. It wouldn't have over 200,000 people listening right now. But it needs to be supported now. There are two ways at the moment of doing it. And I beseech you, if you have been supporting it through PayPal, delete your PayPal contribution because it won't go through. And either use the bank account details on the website because if you go to richieallen.co.uk, at the top of the page, you will see support your show. It is your show. It belongs to you. I'm the custodian of it. I get up every day of the week and I do it. Dedicated my life to it. But it's yours. Belongs to you. And it exists for you to discuss things and to hear things discussed and to come on with me during the phone-ins and say things that you just can't say on LBC or on talk radio. But it needs to be supported now. Two ways of doing it at the moment. There is a bank account. If you go to richieallen.co.uk, you will see support your show. If you click on that, it'll give you two options. It'll give you bank details and it'll give you a link to a Patreon account. As far as I know, using the Patreon thing is as simple as using PayPal. It's just as easy. And Bob's your uncle. You click on become a patron, you'll see a page. The page is called, what's it called? It's called BBG Richie, is it? It's patreon.com forward slash BBG Richie or something along those lines. The link on the website takes you directly there. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that now. But it it needs to happen, this. Because if it doesn't happen within the next couple of weeks, if I don't see it being supported, well, I'll have to make a decision at that stage. And, And you totally understand why I would say that. Remember, things were going along nicely with PayPal. About 96% of all the support came through. Now it's gone. It's gone. And it has to happen some other way. And I hope you will continue to support it. I won't be upset if you don't. Like I've said before, I'll I'll go and do something else. But um, it is your programme. It is an enormous success story. It is. The world has never seen anything like it. The world of broadcasting. It, It hasn't. And I'm going to forget about false modesty. Because false modesty is nonsense. I, I, I'm, I'm neither modest nor immodest. I don't boast, I don't brag, but I don't bullshit either. Is it any good? It's fucking great, is what it is. To be doing this, here, speaking with you, despite all the things that have happened to it, all the media articles, all the bullshit in the press about this programme, we can get hundreds of thousands of people listening to a live radio show at the moment, and they can't do anything to stop it. Except for delete PayPal accounts and kick you off of Twitter. But we're still here doing it. And I'll be here tomorrow doing it, at five o'clock. And I'll be here Thursday, at five o'clock. And every other Monday to Thursday. So long as um, it's financially feasible to do that. And anybody who knows me, and there are plenty who do, people like Hayden Hewitt and Paul Ripley and Gene Ann Crowley and others, nobody is getting rich doing this. This is not about money. 
It's not about wealth. There's no wealth in this. There's none. Jesus Christ, I turned down a 50,000 basic annual salary at a massive radio station in the Northwest back in 2014 to do this, knowing full well I wouldn't be making £50,000 a year. This is not about enriching me. There's no money in this. You've got to know that. Jesus wept. I live in a house in Salford that used to be a council house. I'm proud of it. I'm a council estate boy. We have a silly mortgage on it. I drive a eight-year-old Renault Megane estate. You get what I'm saying? But I have to eat too. And the cost of the programme needs to be covered in order for me to continue to do it. I never thought we'd be talking about this. I didn't see this. Strangely enough, despite everything that's happened with the programme and all the slings and arrows and the abuse and all of that, I didn't see this happening so quickly, the, the PayPal thing. But it has happened. I don't think there's any going back. I've complained to the ombudsman. We'll wait and see what happens. I might, if I can get a solicitor generous enough to give me some pro bono, I might try and sue them for it. On the basis of discrimination or, you know, at least to get them, at least to compel them to give a real reason for it. And I I know in my heart of hearts that it happened because somebody made a complaint to PayPal. Now, one of the reasons I know this is because the day that PayPal closed the account, there were about a dozen messages sent to my website, all of them from the same account, basically jeering and gloating and laughing at the fact that PayPal had had deleted the account. So it's got to be somebody contacting PayPal and saying, you shouldn't be allowing guys like him to have an account. Whatever, it's happened and we have to improvise, adapt and overcome. So on the website richieallen.co.uk, bank details, with an IBAN number, with a BIC number, sort code account number, bank if you want to use it. I know some of you won't use it. You don't, you don't like banks. You've got Patreon. Patreon's not great either. But it does the same job as PayPal until we can figure out something that's a little bit more... What's the word I'm looking for here? A little bit more safe. Where we don't have to worry about it being deleted. Anyway, look, like I said, I never expected that on the first show back I'd be talking about this, but we have to talk about it. So talk about it, we will. That's it for me for today. Thank you for all your comments, by the way. I didn't read out as many as I would like to have read out. I will uh, be better with that tomorrow on the comment live page on the website. I'll do that tomorrow, richieallen.co.uk. Big shout out to Gerald Salente, trendsjournal.com and to Kevin Barrett, truthjihad.com for their very interesting thoughts on Afghanistan and mandatory vaccines and all the rest of it today. Uh, I've enjoyed the programme. I've enjoyed being back. So until tomorrow at five o'clock then, from your BBG, it's a look after yourselves and one another. Uh, Remember, Sunday Morning Melodies returns this Sunday as well at 10am UK time. But until tomorrow... Bye for me. Bye now.